Happy Tuesday, everyone, and welcome back to Unbothered. Josh here, and there is a lot to get into today. 49ers, Cardinals, another prediction right. 49ers absolutely dominated the Arizona Cardinals last night. And then I'm going to get to some quarterback controversies with Zach Wilson, Jameis Winston. I'm going to break down my top 10 teams in the NFL right now. Then I'm going to get into college football. Tonight, I think, is a crucial set of rankings for the CFP college football playoff. And what that means moving forward is we entered rivalry week last week of a college football regular season and a lot of big game implications that start even on Thanksgiving with some rivalry games. But the two biggest games this weekend are on Saturday, Notre Dame-USC and Michigan-Ohio State. I will be talking about both. A lot to get into, so let's get started with 49ers and Cardinals and what was just utter and sheer domination on the part of the San Francisco 49ers. Yes, there was no Kyler Murray in the game. It was Colt McCoy. Uh, He was dinged up. As well, every time he got hit, he lied down on the ground, holding an ankle or a knee or a shoulder. Wasn't a great game by him. But I think even if Kyler were to play and have played healthy, it wouldn't have made much of a difference at all. This is a really, really good 49ers team. And every button that Kyle Shanahan pushed last night was on full display. An RG3. who I think, you know, has been a great broadcaster slash analyst uh, on ESPN. Uh, he li- he highlighted something yesterday that I thought was so true when he made his 49er pick. Uh, he just said that Kyle Shanahan is Thanos, and he's wearing the Infinity Gauntlet, and he's got all the Infinity Stones, and I couldn't agree more. He's got... Elijah Mitchell, Christian McCaffrey is a great running back duo. Uh, His receiver threats are Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, Jimmy G distributing the football, who is pretty great at that. So Kyle Shanahan has got a lot at his disposal to work with. And last night, everyone was involved. Uh, Elijah Mitchell was the leading rusher with 59 yards. Christian McCaffrey uh, has been great running the ball out of backfield, but also uh, catching as well. He kind of has turned into that security blanket for Jimmy G, whereas forcing the ball downfield, if there are certain reads that he doesn't like, he can just dump the ball to Christian McCaffrey three yards, and if Christian McCaffrey can make a play after that, just great. Uh, So the running back duo worked out. George Kittle led the way four receptions, 84 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, the second touchdown uh, he had, that put him up 38-10, to 10, 32 yards a touchdown. But it was only, you know, a 5-10 yard pass, and George Kittle did the rest at the end. Bears on the Cardinals just didn't even want to tackle him. It was poor, pathetic defensive play by the Arizona Cardinals. Brandon Ayuk, two catches, two touchdowns, and Debo Samuel had a 39-yard touchdown run. So again, everyone was involved. Everyone on this offense just to look great. Every angle of it. I mean, the San Francisco 49ers just look legit. They look for real. The defense as well was good. Uh, Nick Bosa led the way. Fred Warner as well. This defense is good. And then on offense for the Arizona Cardinals, couldn't get anything going uh, really uh, early. DeAndre Hopkins was in it. DeAndre Hopkins was doing well. Uh, but they got to the other side of the 50 and just couldn't do anything in San Francisco territory at all. Uh, James Conner, limited 14 carries, 42 yards, uh, 3 yards per carry. He's got to do better than that. Uh, Greg Dorch was kind of the silver lining throughout that game, his first 100-yard receiving game in his career. Uh, He was good, but 
again, it was just too much. 49ers overwhelmed uh, San Francisco from the opening whistle uh, to the end of the game. Uh, Arizona has to do some self-searching now because they're 4-7. and seven. Usually, you know, we talk about Kyler Murray, Cliff Kingsbury, hot start to the season, bad finish to it. Now it's the other way. This has been a very poor start to the season. They're 4-7, and seven, and things don't look good for them moving forward. They play the Chargers this coming Sunday, and Kyler Murray is still going to be questionable for that game. They might keep him up until after the bye week. They lose that game, and I think their season is officially over at that point at 4-8. and eight. They return. They play the Patriots. That's a tough fight against a Bill Belichick-led team in defense. Broncos could definitely go the Cardinals' way, but again, Cardinals, Broncos, uh, two very similar teams, two very disappointing teams with a quarterback who gets paid a lot and hasn't lived up to that contract. Then the Bucks come to town for them. They play the Falcons, who has not been an easy out, and then again, the last game of the season is going to San Francisco to play the team that just decimated them. So the Cardinals... Things aren't looking very good. Cliff Kingsbury uh, doesn't look like he's the man for the job. Kyler Murray doesn't look great, so this Cardinals team is in a load of trouble. Whereas the 49ers, uh, to me, most of the toughest part of their schedule uh, is done in games against the Chargers uh, and the Chiefs. And, uh, you know, one game against the Seahawks done. So... Now they're in the back half of their schedule. Uh, five of their seven games are at home, which is huge. Uh, the home games against the Saints, Dolphins, and Bucks, they get a three-game home stretch coming up. That's crucial. Uh, then they play the Seahawks, which could be for the division. And then they have the 49ers at Raiders, and then again, the Cardinals at home. So 49ers are in the driver's seat. In the NFC West, that win last night gave them first place in the division. They're now the three seed. And I think they're going to do great at controlling uh, their destiny and winning the games they need to win and finishing first place in the NFC West and getting at least one game uh, at home for the playoffs, uh, which will be huge for the NFC. Uh, But great win, especially I want to highlight Jimmy G. Because it seems like every primetime game that Jimmy G has, everything is talked about this offseason. Nobody seems to let it go how they were going to move on from him. And here he comes back with the Trey Lance injury. And to me, he's playing better than ever. Uh, I'd like to have Jimmy Garoppolo on my team last night. Uh, 228 yards, four touchdowns, a 77 QBR, a pass rating of 132. I mean, he's. Brilliant. He can manage the game just as well as anybody in the National Football League. And if he's not making any crucial mistakes, not turning the football over, uh, watch out for the 49ers. This is a team that could go to the Super Bowl uh, with the way that they are playing and the role they are on right now. Next, I want to talk about Zach Wilson and the New York Jets. Yesterday, I touched on this a little bit. Zach Wilson uh, said that, you know, the loss was not on him. He let the defense down. Uh, Wilson just said, no, no. Some defensive players were upset by those remarks. Uh, Robert Sala was not happy with how he responded from it. Uh, He said, is it a mistake? Sure. Is it something he'll be better from? Absolutely. And he is not now committed to Zach Wilson going forward. Uh, He says, we're keeping everything on the table over the next couple days. Uh, I agree. I don't think Zach Wilson is the quarterback. I think Robert Sala, or I'm going to start high level here. I think the general manager did an awesome job, just hit on the draft. I think uh, their draft was great this year, especially last year was good, but this year was great. Uh, One of my top five drafts in the NFL, Robert Sala, 
has used those pieces to turn a defense around. They got some offensive pieces as well. But Zach Wilson, like I said yesterday, is the weak link of this football team. Rigs 23rd in total QBR, 45. That's below 50. That's mediocre at best. That's below average. He is the dead last incompletion percentage. Dead last. Yesterday, 55%. Guess what? That stayed the same. Dead last in completion percentage. He is not a great quarterback. But guess what? The Jets don't have any other options. That, uh, Joe Flacco, to me, at this stage in his career, is not an upgrade. Mike White is not an upgrade. I think you have to roll with Zach Wilson. And this is why I know Robert Sala is frustrated. He expects more out of his quarterback, more out of his team. Uh, the defense has been playing well. Brees Hall goes down. That obviously hurts your offense and your rushing attack. Uh, but I still go with Zach Wilson. A lot of people want to bench Zach Wilson. But I say, uh, to me, the next seven games that the Jets have, uh, you start Zach Wilson because you have no better option. And he's playing for his job. He was the second-round pick in the NFL draft. I've compared him to Baker Mayfield uh, before. And I don't think you give Zach Wilson the Baker Mayfield treatment where, hey, Baker Mayfield got you to the playoffs, you roll him out. Uh, he was the first overall pick. No. He, Zach Wilson has seven games to prove that he can complete passes accuracy in the NFL and that he can be a leader of the football team. The quarterback is the leader. He's got to prove he can do that. If not, then you evaluate that next offseason through free agency, through the draft, but you've got to roll it out because there's no better option. You can upgrade next year if you see fit, but you need to go right here and see if he can uh, win some games. Because the schedule isn't necessarily easy moving forward. They still have two games against the division in Buffalo, in Miami. They have a Bears team coming up who's hot with Justin Fields. They're traveling to Minnesota. They're traveling to Seattle. So, again, this is not an easy schedule to finish off from. I think this is Zach Wilson's uh, basically playing for his life right here, these next seven games. And he's got to prove that he can be the Jets quarterback because if not, there's one name spiraling out there that could be a candidate. That is Aaron Rodgers. I honestly think Aaron Rodgers would be a great fit on this New York Jets team next year. And if they have a chance to get off Zach Wilson and get Aaron Rodgers, you best believe Robert Sala and the Jets would explore that option. Why? Because the Jets have money. They have salary cap room. Uh, they've hit on the draft. I don't think you'd have to give up a lot of draft picks to get Aaron Rodgers since he's played poorly this year. A uh, high cap hit, a lot of money to take on, which usually deters teams. And to me, this makes sense uh, for uh, the Packers, because you, again, you'd move on from that cap hit if you don't think you can win anywhere. If Aaron Rodgers requests a trade, you could get Zach Wilson draft picks. Analyze Jordan loves Zach Wilson. If you decide to get another quarterback, you've really got a committee right there. But then on the Jets side, you've got players. they got a good run game. Uh, James Robinson, uh, Michael Carter, Brees Hall will return from injury. Offensive line, I think, is good, not great. They can definitely improve through the draft. And then they got weapons. They got uh, Garrett Wilson, a very main wideout, who I think is outstanding, played better through spurts. But, again, Zach Wilson's not that guy. Uh, I think Denzel Mims uh, can also play a wide receiver. He had a wide-open uh, lane in the game, and he couldn't get him to him. I think Conklin's a good tight end. Elijah Moore is frustrated with his role. But you can absolutely get a wide receiver in free agency or a draft to satisfy Aaron Rodgers, even if that means coupling a trade with, you know, Randall Cobb in that deal. So the Jets will have options, but right now I think you have to roll uh, with Zach Wilson, even if it looks dire. 
Time for the next piece of quarterback news. That involves Jameis Winston. Jameis said that he is hurt uh, by the benching uh, to Andy Dalton the past few weeks now that he's healthy. He says that it hurts his soul. But then Jameis Winston said that the policy is that you don't lose your job due to injury. And maybe Jameis has not really watched football. Because I know there's plenty of examples, but I'm just going to go with three quarterback examples where there was a starter who was named a starter to start the season, even played a couple games, but didn't finish a season ever again, played for that team, due to injury. Uh, so that's what happens. Uh, the first one is the most infamous, and that's Drew Bledsoe getting injured for the New England Patriots, Tom Brady coming in, and the Patriots never looking back. Uh, back. Tom Brady obviously went on to win seven. Super Bowl six with the Patriots. Uh, I don't think Bill Belichick had any regrets about that. So, again, that's one quarterback went down due to injury. Another one came back, back Drew Bledsoe, wanted to play for the Patriots, uh, but he knew that was not going to be the case. So, Jameis, that is one instance where that proves your theory wrong. Another instance, uh, a few years ago, uh, five, six years ago, Tony Romo was the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. Injured. But they had a third-rounder, Dak Prescott. What did he do? Oh, only lead the team to 13-3. and three. Uh, So they kept with Dak Prescott and Tony Romo. Uh, was a backup there, retired with the Cowboys, and now is in the broadcast booth. Didn't play another game after that for the Cowboys. Or again, in the NFL starter. So that's another example. A quarterback that lost his... Uh, Job due to injury, and Tony Romo was, you know, a famous, beloved quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys, especially with Jerry Jones. Guess what? Tony Romo lost his job due to injury. Let's go to a very recent example. About three years ago, Tyrod Taylor was named the starter of the Los Angeles Chargers, even though Justin Herbert was drafted six overall. Tyrod Taylor played the first game, then was out due to injury. For the second game, guess what? Justin Herbert was thrown into fire against Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs, and he absolutely played his tail off, played, showed up against Patrick Mahomes, even though it was a losing effort. You thought, oh, Justin Herbert, he's the real deal. Uh, Tyrod Taylor never played a game again for the Chargers. So guess what, Jameis? There's no policy that says that you don't lose your job due to injury. That's just what happens. Players lose their jobs all the time due to injury in professional sports. That is going to happen again. It will continue to happen. It will keep on happening. So, Jameis, I get your gripe because you might not think it's fair, but there is a steady history in the NFL where players have lost their job due to injury And sometimes there can be a case that, hey, uh, you know, you were playing well before then, but guess what, Jameis, you were not playing well before you were injured. I know Andy Dalton is not doing great. You can have a case that you should be starting right now, but that is not the case. You did not play well due to injury, uh, uh, before the injury. So, again, the policy that you have said does not apply in this situation. Again, Jameis, apologize, feel for you, but there's a history behind this. Let's continue on. Time to break down my top 10 teams in the NFL after the 11th week. And I'm going to try my best not to overreact to anything uh, I have seen, and I am taking this through an 11-game sample size. Nothing based on what you have done Last year, year before, predicting how this might finish out, I'm just reacting to 11 games. So let's get started. Top 10. Number 10, the Minnesota Vikings. Yes, the Minnesota Vikings are number 10. Why? They're 8-2. and two. That counts for something. 
but they've not been a dominant 8-2 team. The Kansas City Chiefs are an 8-2 team, but they feel dominant. Uh, Buffalo, 7-3, uh, they feel dominant. Uh, there's other teams with worse records that feel more dominant than the Minnesota Vikings. Minnesota was on a seven-game win streak. Uh, five of those were very close games, one-score games. Uh, so, again, not dominant. They don't knock you out. Uh, teams that play Minnesota always have a chance. They can get knocked out, but they don't knock out. That's why they have a negative two-point differential. Imagine that. A team that is eight and 8-2 with a winning record has a negative point differential. That is the they are the only team in the league with a winning record and a negative point differential. So, again, scary there for Minnesota. Don't think they're a great team. That is why they are at number 10. Con artist Kurt comes up when you need him to. Con artist, there he is sitting there at 10. Number nine, the Cincinnati Bengals. I think the Cincinnati Bengals have a great team, great roster. Uh, they're 6-4, and four, point differential much higher than the Vikings, plus 50, uh, even though the record doesn't reflect that. Uh, in games without Jamar Chase, they're 2-1. and one. So far, Jamar Chase is practicing. We'll see if he'll be available for the Titans, but they just beat the Steelers, avenged a loss from earlier in the season. With Joe Mixon being out majority of the game, Joe Burrow has really stepped up this year. I think and he's taken his game somehow to another level because he's simply been fantastic for the Cincinnati Bengals this year. Uh, close to 3,000 yards, 22 touchdowns, and eight interceptions. He's cut down on the interceptions from last year. He's third passing yards again. Fantastic uh, quarterback, you know, solidly in my top five. This unit as a whole has been really good. Number eight. The San Francisco 49ers, another team who I think is just good, just blew out the Cardinals. I'm not going to overreact to that. They still have two bad losses early in the season to the Broncos and to the um, Bears, which was like a monsoon game. Uh, but I think the 49ers are playing their best football right now. And this is where you usually want to start playing your best football as Thanksgiving on. And I think the 49ers are going to do just exactly that. They're now number one in their division. They got weapons all over the field. They've got the best defense in football in terms of yards allowed, total defense, uh, scoring defense there in the top five. This is a really solid 49ers team. They're well coached by Kyle Shanahan. A defensive coordinator, D'Amico Ryans, is a great coordinator. Uh, I don't see a lot of flaws with this 49ers team, especially if Jimmy Garoppolo is stepping up like he has been. Number seven, the Dallas Cowboys, a team that put up just a great, great offensive display on uh, Sunday, one of their best offensive outings uh, of the uh, year, their best performance of the year. That was a performance where you can get that again, get a string of not the exact same performance because I don't think Dak can, you know, complete 88% of his passes again. That's a team that can contend for a Super Bowl, make a playoff run. The Cowboys are playing good. They lead the league in sacks. They got 42 of them. Micah Parsons, Demarcus Lawrence, Dan Quinn, excellent defensive coordinator. Tony Pollard, I think, has taken a step from last year to this year. Last year he was a good uh, you know, one-two punch with Zeke where he was a two. This year, he's the one. Uh, he is just explosive out of the backfield, whereas he's running or catching the football. Number six, the Tennessee Titans. Uh, I know the Tennessee Titans don't play the most exciting brand of football, the most prettiest, the one that goes, wow, those are some big plays. But they play the most steady, consistent brand of football. And that's all you need. That's why they're seven and three. Uh, they're seven and three somehow after uh, a lot of people, including myself, doubted them after the AJ Brown trade. But to me, they're just as similar as last year. Mike Vrabel gets the most 
out of this defense, even when there's injuries. On offense, they are still running through Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry will take them as far as he can get them. Ryan Tannehill will have some great games. He'll have some bad games. He most recently had a good game. Jalen Burks is getting healthier. If that number one pick can develop and, you know, be consistent, he can be that A.J. Brown type of player that they had. Uh, Tennessee is another team that can win a playoff game or two. Uh, It is a team you really don't want to face in the playoffs just because of how physical uh, they will be. Number five, the Baltimore Ravens, uh, led by Lamar Jackson. Not their prettiest to win against the Panthers. Probably their worst win of the season, if you want to say that you can have a bad win. But they're seven and three. They have no, I think, star wide receivers at all. Mark Andrews is the main guy. Him and Lamar have a chemistry. They run the football a ton. The defense is playing really good. Roquan Smith. That trade has looked really good for this team. So I've got the Baltimore Ravens at number five. Number four, the Buffalo Bills. Seven and three. You've just, coming off a bad loss to the Vikings where you absolutely blow it. You need the win here. And they redeemed themselves by far. Game in Detroit against the Browns. Sounds a little weird. Uh, but Buffalo did it. Very balanced with the run game, which I like to see. If they can maintain that balance with James Cook and Devin Singletary, take some of the pressure off Josh Allen, even if it's minimal, 5 to 10% of the pressure of the plays, that can do a lot for him, for his confidence, for his team overall as a whole moving forward. And if his defense can just continue to be a steady top 10 group that they are sustained uh, by the injuries, of their two key all-pro safeties. This team will be in really good shape down the stretch, and they're still as explosive and as tough as anybody in the NFL. Number three, the Miami Dolphins. And a lot of people, they pick on Jimmy G, they pick on Tua. And Tua is just high-level accuracy. Uh, Leads the league in QBR, high in pass rating. I mean, Tua has proved, uh, to me, the doubt is wrong this season. There is... Questions about the arm strength, it's not great. But if you get it into the vicinity of a Jalen Waddle, a Tyree Kill, they go up and make plays. They just do. They got the fastest wide receiver duo in the NFL. That offense is explosive. Mike McDaniel, uh, the prodigy of Kyle Shanahan, has been great for this team. Very San Francisco 49er-style team right there on the opposite side of the coast on another bay. It's been great to watch. A very identical team that Kyle Shanahan operates with in uh, San Francisco is what Mike McDaniel has done for Miami. And to me, Miami has played tougher teams in a tougher division, tougher conference. And he's got his team to a 7-3 and record, uh, third best team, second best team in the AFC. That's a lot to say. Number two. Philadelphia Eagles, they're 9-1 and one. yesterday, or on Sunday, they were able to complete a comeback. That was one thing I wanted to see is, hey, can they come back and win? They couldn't do it against the Commanders, yet they did it down by 10 in the fourth quarter to the Indianapolis Colts, who have, I think, somehow turned a corner with Jeff Saturday as their head coach. Philly, very balanced running the football. Jalen Hurts at times just cannot, stop, uh, cannot be stopped. He takes off. Quez Watkins, A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith can make plays while Dallas Goddard recovers from his injury. The defense made some signings. Uh, we'll see once they get used to a playbook if they can make a little bit more of an impact. But Philadelphia, 9-1, best in the NFC, got to give them their flowers. But who's number one? That's the Kansas City Chiefs. No doubt about it right now. They're the best team in the NFL. Uh Point differential of plus 67. They're on a four-game winning streak, uh, which is tied for the longest winning streak in the NFL. Very hard to pull together, you know, a lot of wins. But Patrick Mahomes has been great. He's leading uh, front runner for the MVP. Uh, Isaiah Pacheco looks a bit more explosive than Clyde Edwards-Alaire. They're serviceable at wide receiver. 
Travis Kelsey is the best tight end in the National Football League. And to me, that really isn't even that close. Chris Jones uh, is, to me, playing uh, like prime Aaron Donald right now. So this team, when everything's clicking, it's hard to beat. There's not a lot of flaws. And that's why they're the number one team. Well coached by Andy Reid. Can't say enough good things about the Kansas City Chiefs. So there you have it. That's my NFL top 10. Vikings, Bengals, Niners, Cowboys, Titans, Ravens, Bills, Dolphins, Eagles, and Chiefs. Now let's move on to some college football. Tonight, the rankings will be revealed. Uh, the not third, I guess it's the third to last batch of rankings. We're right in the middle of these rankings here. And to me, uh, there's going to be some crucial questions for the committee. These, this, to me, is a monumental group of rank, uh, uh, ranking that we're going to get tonight. Why? Well, we saw Tennessee absolutely get demolished uh, by uh, South Carolina, ended the hopes that they can get into the playoff. Hendon Hooker tore his ACL and I'm one of the biggest Hendon Hooker fans. He's been absolutely great this year, so that's a loss. Uh, obviously, you don't drop somebody with an injury, but this Tennessee offense is not going to be the same without uh, that man there playing quarterback. So I want to know how far do they drop Tennessee? With Tennessee being dropped, with USC win, that big win they had against UCLA, how far will they go up? Obviously, they'll move up a spot. Will they pass Clemson? Or, I mean, my bad. Will they pass LSU there uh, and move all the way up to five? Will they keep them below LSU? That's a big question to discuss for the committee. Another one's where will Clemson end up? Again, Clemson has just been skating along, uh, playing a little better uh, since that loss to Notre Dame. But where will they end up? Why is this all important? Because with a loser of the Michigan-Ohio uh, State game coming up, it's uh, how relative will that jump go? Will a Clemson and USC team pass the loser of this game? Will the committee keep one of those teams uh, right there with them, in front of them, behind one of them, in front of one of them? It's going to be a big tonight to see how close Clemson and USC are to that top four and that loser of the Michigan-Ohio State game to sort of create some urgency, because I don't think either one is safe. With a loss, it'll be interesting. Uh, but again, those are some crucial questions for the committee, how their rankings will be. But with all that being said, I'm going to give you how my top 10 teams in the college football would look right now. If I was on the committee, this is a ballot I would submit. Number 10. The Tennessee Volunteers. They've got two good wins on, or I shouldn't say good, they got two great wins in Alabama and LSU. However, a loss to Georgia and just a humiliating, embarrassing loss to South Carolina. That's like, uh, you look at all the losses of the top 10, that is the most humiliating loss of the season where your defense gives up over 600 yards. You absolutely get torched into me. I know this shouldn't play a factor, but to me it does. Hendon Hooker is out, which means uh, I don't have high hopes for Tennessee moving forward. I know there's only one regular season game left. They had their bowl game, uh, but that loss is just crushing for Tennessee, and it's a bad loss because South Carolina the week before just got demolished by Florida, uh, and Tennessee beat Florida this year. So there you have that one. Number nine, the Penn State Nittany Lions finally Crack the top 10, I believe. Why? Because to me, they have uh, right there with Alabama's two of the best losses in the country. Their two losses was, to me, a very competitive game to Ohio State and then a blowout loss to Michigan. So those two losses there, to me, are just fine. Other than that, you have put together some uh, good wins. They've won a lot of games. Uh, Sean Clifford has looked great. Uh, Joey Porter, their defensive back, has been good. Uh rebounding after kind of a down year last year of his Penn State team, I think is deserving of a top 10 ranking. 
uh, and I think should be slotted there uh, at the top of that top ten. I, I have them at number nine. Number eight, Clemson Tigers. I know a lot of people think, wow, that's, that's really low for the Clemson Tigers, but guess what? I'm sorry. It's not that I'm anti-Clemson. It's just that I'm not convinced that they are a great team. I'm just not. Uh, maybe this week will do something when they play South Carolina, who just uh, walloped uh, Tennessee. But this is a team that got embarrassed by Notre Dame, uh, won a close game against almost all the teams on their schedule. Uh, I know that Notre Dame game was a wake-up call because Clemson has looked their best since then. But is that too late in the season to suffer that loss since before that loss it was hanging on against uh, Syracuse, Florida State, North Carolina State, uh, Wake Forest. And the ACC is not strong this year because Notre Dame has beat every ACC team that they've played. Uh, So very convincing there. So that's why they're at eight. Number seven, USC. A lot of people like USC more than me. I was debating and put USC six uh, or seven here. I put them at seven. They have a loss to Utah. Uh, that loss to Utah right now doesn't look that good considering Utah has lost to Florida. They lost to UCLA, who UCLA just lost to USC. And they just lost to Oregon as well. So Utah, to me, has sort of dropped there. That loss doesn't look as great. Uh, they're playing good. But again, they just squeaked out that one against UCLA. It was a 48-45 three-point game. But to me, the only reason they lost was because DTR quarterback for UCLA gifted them some points with three interceptions in that game. That's something they can't do. But that defense is atrocious on every level imaginable for USC. Yes, they take the ball away, and you can point to, hey, they lead the league in takeaways, lead college football. That's great because that's the only thing they got going for them. Other than that, you could run, you can pass, uh, you can do anything you want on this defense. That's why I have them at seven. And the teams I have above them, I believe would beat them anywhere. On the road, at home, neutral site, don't matter, line them up, they beat USC. Number six, Alabama Crimson Tide. Yeah, to me, Alabama is still for real. Uh, They had to play in the most raucous environment I've seen this year in college football in Tennessee when Tennessee was at the peak and they lost by a field goal. Uh, The second most raucous environment I saw at LSU. And LSU won on a two-point conversion in overtime. Other than that, Bryce Young is Bryce Young, one of the best quarterbacks in college football, will be a top-five pick in this upcoming NFL draft. Jameer Gibbs is a tremendous running back. Will Anderson is a beast at defensive end outside linebacker. Uh, Don't underestimate this Alabama team. If you were to line up Alabama, USC, if you were to tell me USC would beat this team, couldn't take you seriously. Number five, the LSU Tigers. Guess what? LSU, much much like Alabama, lost to Tennessee when Tennessee was playing their best football and looked absolutely unbeatable before the Hendon Hooker South Carolina Demolition Derby. LSU is playing great right now. Uh, the win against Alabama is good. Uh, Again, they're playing their best football. Harold Perkins, at outside linebacker, looks like one of the best linebackers in college football. This is a balanced offensive and defensive team, and to me should be number five uh, in tonight's rankings. Number four, time to get into the top four. The TCU Horned Frogs survived off a last-second field goal against the Baylor Bears. A lot of comeback wins, but guess what? When you're 11-0, it means something. It's very hard in college football when you play a nine-game conference schedule where you play all the teams in your conference. Very tough to win all those games when they know you very well. These are big rivalry games. TCU being 11-0 is nothing to scoff at. I have them at four. Number three, the Michigan Wolverines. Much like the TCU, Horned Frogs out last week. They won off the skin of their teeth. uh, Last-second field goal to win the game. But other than that, this year they've been dominant offensively, defensively, both one of the best Defense is right there with Georgia. They've been dominant most of the year. I got them at three. Number two, the Ohio State Buckeyes. A team that, to me, should be winning more convincingly. I'll talk about them in a second. But they're 11-0. and 
Marvin Harrison looks like the best wide receiver in college football. C.J. Stroud is the front runner for the Heisman. Those are great pieces to have, especially when you're the uh, best wide receiver, I thought, coming into the year. Jackson Smith and Jigma. And Jigma was going to have a monster year, and he just hasn't because of his hamstring injury. And then number one, it's still the Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, they're number one. They deserve to be uh, number one. They beat Tennessee uh, this year, which at the time was the most impressive win of the season. The defense has been great this year. Offensively, definitely underrated because they boast one of the best offenses in college football, uh, which is surprising because you don't think of them like that. But again, defensively, arguably the best right there with Michigan. Take your pick. Offensively, Stetson Bennett has improved this year and is you know, sixth year in college football, which to me is too much when you're a 25-year-old playing college, uh, just doesn't feel the same as a 20-year-old doing it. So that's my top 10. That's how I would rank my top 10 teams tonight. Uh, the Volunteers of Tennessee, Penn State, Clemson, USC, Alabama, LSU, TCU, the Wolverines, the Buckeyes, and the Georgia Bulldogs. And... This week, we have some big game implications. Uh, we have Tennessee, you know, setback. Uh, I think, you know, the game that just happened this past weekend, Tennessee, South Carolina, I think this really did set Tennessee back. You know, Josh Heupel in his second year doing great things, had great momentum for the program. I think that loss that they just had, that's a setback loss. That's one where you go, whoa. I don't know if Tennessee will ever be the same team. Again, never be on this run. Why? Because they played Florida in Tennessee. They played Alabama in Tennessee. And the one loss to Georgia was a good loss, so they had a chance. Uh, next year, they'll have to play in Alabama, in Florida. Georgia will be good even playing in Tennessee. That's a struggle there. So I don't think Tennessee will ever be as good as they were this year and the next year or two. Whereas South Carolina, I really do think this is a jumping board, a spring forward. I think Shane Beamer is a good coach, an excellent recruiter. I think this brings his program uh, forward, and I think it's especially big uh, considering that Oklahoma, Texas will be joining uh, this division as soon as this conference, no matter how they restructure it. That'll be big for recruiting rankings to have a win like this for your program moving forward. Then we have a big rivalry game Thursday night for college football. Ole Miss, Mississippi State, the Egg Bowl. To me, it's big because a lot of chatter right now on Lane Kiffin and him going to Auburn and ditching Ole Miss. There have been a lot of smoke around it. Lane Kiffin has denied it. But the saying goes, where there's usually where there's smoke, there's usually a fire. I think there is some truth to the Lane Kiffin-Auburn rumors. Of course, he wants to downplay it, but I think he's done the best job at Ole Miss that you can do. I think 9-3, 10-2 is about as good as an Ole Miss program in terms of recruiting and players wanting to go there. Auburn is obviously a bigger school, uh, better recruiting history. I think Lane Kiffin is a good recruiter, uh, but I think you know the 9-3, 10-2 uh, Ole Miss you know, I think transfers over uh, to uh, 11 and 1, you know, 10 and 2, 11 and 1, you know, 12 and 0 sort of thing with Auburn because I think that program is just much better, much more desirable too for players uh, to go there. And of course, he gets a better chance because he could go 11 0, finish in the Iron Bowl against Alabama, against Nick Saban, which would be a great rivalry, great game. Then another underrated game for the group of five, Tulane, Cincinnati. Why is that big? Well, this is big because a group of five teams such as Tulane, Cincinnati, and UCF gets to play in a major New Year's Six Bowl, one of the you know, four best bowl games outside of the college football playoff. So Tulane, Cincinnati, play the winner of that, will play UCF for the AAC championship uh, game. That's big because UCF has already beat both these teams. They've already clinched the spot. So Tulane, Cincinnati, winner of that, will then get the rematch over UCF to see who will go to that bowl game. So Tulane, Cincinnati, big game there. 
North Carolina has a big rivalry game coming up playing North Carolina State. This is big for both teams. North Carolina State 7-4, and four. North Carolina coming off a bad loss to Georgia Tech. To me, this is more important for North Carolina and specifically Clemson. For North Carolina to stay relevant, Drake May, Eisman shot. Eisman hopes really shot down after that loss. But if Drake May can play well, uh, this could set up a big game for uh, the Clemson-North Carolina game. Uh, Clemson would be a big win because that would definitely elevate their playoff hopes. Whereas if North Carolina wins this game, wins out, then they'd be going to a New Year's Six bowl game. So uh, potentially uh, big implications for the uh, North Carolina win here. But now I want to talk about two big rivalry games coming up for college football. First, Notre Dame-USC. Story rivalry here. The Bush push, Matt Leinart, uh, great teams. USC, you know, 10-1. and one. Though This win is huge for their playoff push. But to me, Notre Dame is just rolling with Marcus Freeman. They're playing their best football right now. And again, this is what you need to be playing your best football. I can't believe, but Notre Dame, after their, uh, you know, sort of semi-join for football where you play like five ACC games since like 2014-15, they're 40-7 and seven against ACC opponents. Uh, they beat every ACC team that they played on the schedule this year, which was big. And again, started the season 3-3, three and three, ugly losses to like Marshall, Stanford. But since that loss to Stanford, they showed up, scored 40-plus in back-to-back dominant wins over Syracuse, UNLV, dominated Clemson, had Navy uh, dead in the water before a Navy comeback, Notre Dame held it off, and then just Notre Dame showed out Boston College. And to me, Notre Dame's that weird team since they are technically not in the conference. But if you have to rank them, uh, to me, they're stronger than any team in the Big 12. They're stronger than any team, obviously, in the ACC. To me, they're stronger than any team in the Pac-12. The weird spot there is where they are. In relation to the Big Ten, I think the Big Ten is better. Ohio State, the good teams there. And same with the SEC. So that's a weird spot uh, that they're in. But I do think they are a better team than USC. They run the football well. Defensively, this is going to be the best team that USC uh, has faced. Toughest test for Caleb Williams for Lincoln Riley. So I think this is going to be a great game. Uh, Notre Dame, I think, has the edge defensively and where they are at uh, right now. Then the other rivalry game, Michigan and Ohio State. This is the game, Game of the Century Part 2. Some people are calling it uh, both teams 11-0, and this is huge. This is as big is it gets for both programs. Uh, A lot of storylines here. Blake Corum suffered a knee injury against the Illini. How healthy he's going to be moving forward. Jackson Smith and Jigba, is he going to play? Is Donovan Edwards going to play? Is uh, Travion Henderson going to play? You have a lot of question marks. Both these teams dinged up. To me, the biggest X factor, how healthy is it going to be? How's the weather going to be? If it's rainy, favors Michigan. Uh, I want to see Michigan win again this year. Again, only once since, uh, I think, in 2000, has Michigan beat Ohio State in Ohio State, and that was the year 2000. But it's been 22 years since Michigan has won there. But Michigan needs to win this uh, because my mindset and mentality is when something happens once, you know, you can say it's luck, it's a coincidence. When you win multiple times, it's a habit. Ohio State has a habit of beating Michigan. It's a routine. For Michigan to start having a habit, a routine of beating Ohio State, it's got to be a yearly thing. It's got to be every other year. It can't be once a decade like it has been since the 2000s. Michigan needs to win this game. It would be bigger for them than Ohio State, I believe. And you've got two teams that really don't like each other, C.J. Stroud, and the Buckeyes say they've waited 365 days for this. Harbaugh says that this team is made up of all the right stuff. Uh, 
Ohio State obviously I think has the advantage here with the Blake injury, uh, uh, Blake Horm injury, with it being in Ohio State, which has proven to be very tough for Michigan for the past 20 years. So this is going to be a tough, tough, tough win if Michigan's going to eke it out. But this is going to truly prove what both teams are because I've already heard how talented Ohio State is, how great Ohio State is, how the players, you know, are just so much better than Michigan. But this is one thing I want to know. This is one thing I'd like to answer if I could ask all those committee members this and all the other analysts this. As if Ohio State is that team that's so much more talented than Michigan, has those players that Michigan doesn't have, why has Michigan looked more dominant this year than Ohio State? Yeah, if you want to talk about the one non-conference game, which is Ohio State had Notre Dame, uh, Michigan didn't have that game. But Michigan has looked more dominant. Uh, why, how come Michigan dominated Penn State in a way Ohio State didn't? Both games were close against Oregon. I'll give them that one. But how come Ohio State couldn't dominate Northwestern? Michigan's had one game where it was like, oh, that was close, and that was last game's Illinois game, whereas Ohio State, these teams have hung on. Northwestern's hung on. Penn State's hung on. Maryland has hung on. So why is Ohio State not covered to spread more? Beat their teams uh, by a margin that Michigan has. I know the point differential is around the same. The scoring margin is around the same. But to me, Michigan has looked more dominant than Ohio State has. I'd like to know why Ohio State hasn't won by such a wide margin. Why Georgia hasn't. Oh, that's why. Because this is college football. The best teams get the best shots. Michigan gets the same shots Ohio State does. But we talk about Ohio State because they've got the more talented players that Michigan doesn't have. But I'm excited for that rivalry game. And then last but not least, Messi was upset today in the World Cup. I shouldn't say Messi, uh, but Argentina as a whole. Broke their streak of 36 games unbeaten, and I think that's the best thing for them. Got that monkey off the back, the 36 unbeaten. Now they can go in fresh, just win out, because if you win your next two games, you're into the round of 16 and the knockout stages. Uh, Saudi Arabia, basically a, a home game for them. They were celebrating uh, Ended up being a tough draw for Argentina. They had three goals disallowed, so it's not like Argentina played bad. Uh, they just need to play a little cleaner, a little tighter uh, than they did this game, and even shown that the past 36 games. So I think Argentina will be fine. Nothing to be worried about, especially if they win their next two games. But we'll see. World Cup, anything can happen. It's sort of like March Madness. Things get crazy in the World Cup. But this has been Unbothered. I'll talk to you all later. Bye, everybody.